Hi, my name's David Fincher. Welcome to Divine Deliberations. We're glad you're here. Today we're going to talk about something that's really, really unbelievably clear within Scripture, but yet it has been taken by so many faith-only people and contorted into a doctrine that is, I believe, a damnable heresy. It will actually cause people to be lost. The topic is, once saved, always saved. There's a lot of people out there have been teaching once saved, always saved for years. But the question is, does the Bible say that? Does the Bible teach once you are saved, you are always saved? And That's what we're going to talk about today on Divine Deliberations. Thanks for being here. First, let me remind you to click the subscribe button, click the like button, and click the little bell so you're notified when we post videos. We are on a schedule of posting videos every Friday, so we encourage you to tune in and check us out every Friday. We'll be dealing with Bible subjects, most of which are contorted and distorted by denominational people trying to push some denominational doctrine or dogma or some tradition of their church, and we don't care about that. We don't care about the dogmas, doctrines, or the denominations of men. We just simply want to go back to the Bible and be Christians and only Christians, nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. So, the question is today, can a child of God so live in sin as to lose his or her salvation? Now, what's interesting is there are people out there who decry false teachers and actually teach this. Alan Parr has a huge channel, and he actually supports and teaches, once you're saved, you're always saved. But, you know, hey, I have all the respect in the world for Alan Parr decrying and denouncing false teachings, but he himself has fallen into that trap and teaches that once you're saved, you're always saved. Well, I'm going to show you today where the Bible does not teach that. The Bible does not teach that. First, let me say before I even begin, that we need to understand that grace is not a tightrope on which we balance, and one false step is going to plunge us to our eternal doom. But grace is more like a field in which we stand. And as we stand in that field, let me, let me make this clear. This is just an illustration, so it doesn't carry a whole lot of weight. But as we stand in that field, we can venture close to the edge and eventually step out of that field into darkness. Now, one can be honest, and we need to remember this. A person can be honest and sincere and be honestly and sincerely mistaken. Matthew seven twenty one through 23, Jesus said, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works, and I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Those people were honest and sincere. They were religious. They were casting out demons, or they thought they were. They were prophesying in the name of Christ, or they thought they were. They were doing many wonderful things in the name of Christ. But they were honestly and sincerely mistaken. They had never done what they needed to do to become Christians. Jesus says, I never knew you. Now, can a child of God sin in such a way 
or live a life of sin to lose their salvation? Or are you saved and therefore always saved? Well, let me, let me just go back to the very beginning, all right? Let, let's look at the very beginning here. Adam was referred to as a son of God. Luke, the third chapter, in verse 38, says, Which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. Luke refers to Adam as a son of God. And, and we all know Adam's story. And we need to understand this. The devil is the first being to ever preach, once saved, always saved. In Genesis, the third chapter, in verses 1 through 4, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Watch this, You shall not surely die die. Now I want you to think about something. Adam and Eve were children of God. They were in a saved state. I mean, according to what most denominations teach today, they were saved. They couldn't fall. Once they were saved, they were always saved. But Adam and Eve believed a lie. And in believing that lie, they disobeyed God. They rebelled against God in their disobeying him and therefore sinned and fell from their lofty and saved estate. There's not a person in the world that will dispute that. Adam was referred to as a son of God just like we are referred to as sons and children of God. John 1 verses 11 and verse 12, he came into his own and his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Romans 8 and verse 14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Philippians 2 verse 15, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. 1 John the third chapter, verse 1 and verse 2, behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. If Adam and Eve, who were children of God, could fall from their lofty and saved state by virtue of disobedience and rebellion, then those who are called Christians today, those who are also called children of God today, can do likewise. If not, why not? But that's not enough. We need more. Romans 8, verses 12 and verse 14. Paul was writing to Christians at Rome. And listen to what he says. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you will die. But if through the Spirit you do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, let me make something clear here. Paul was writing Christians, and when he says, if you live after the flesh, you will die, they're going to die anyway if you're talking about physical death. He's talking about more than physical death. Everyone dies. Everyone in the first century. All those Christians at Rome in the first century are dead. They are on the other side now. 
So he wasn't talking about physical death. That is a given. Everyone, it's appointed unto men once to die. After this, the judgment. It is appointed to everyone to die. Well, he wasn't talking about physical death. He was talking about spiritual death. If you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. In Galatians, the sixth chapter, in verse 7 and verse 9, Paul again is writing Christians to the churches of Galatia. Read the first chapter. Read his opening. He says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. Now he's telling Christians that if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption you're going to die well obviously they're still going to die everybody dies he's talking about something bigger and then he says let us not be weary in well-doing for in due season you shall reap if we faint not well what if you faint you don't reap that word if is mighty big and it's used throughout the new testament and it's amazing to me how so many people can actually ignore that word it's there so often. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, Paul said, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for mastery is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now I want you to think about that. Paul is actually the great apostle Paul. In my opinion, man, the greatest guy who ever lived with the exception of Jesus himself. And he says, I keep under my body and bring it in subjection, lest after I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. The Greek word that Paul used there is adokimos. It means unapproved, that is rejected, by implication worthless, literally or morally, cast away, rejected, reprobate. So the great apostle Paul the, the one who said, I will actually die and, and go to hell if it would save the Jewish people, Romans 9. That, that guy said, I buffet my body and bring it in subjection, lest after I have preached to others, I might therefore be unapproved, rejected, by implication worthless, cast away, rejected, reprobate. I mean, that guy said that? Doesn't that sort of mean that he thought he could? I mean, if once you're saved, you're always saved. And if you can't lose your salvation, why would Paul even make such a statement? Why would he say, I, I bring my body into subjection. I keep on it. I stay on top of it. Last after any means, I could be cast away. I myself should be a castaway. The Hebrew writer. 
The Hebrew writer, listen, if you believe in once saved, always saved, or you can't lose your salvation, if you believe in that, you pretty much have to take the book of Hebrews and just cut it out of your Bible, all right? Just throw it away. Because it is replete. It is replete with all kinds of warnings regarding a Christian losing their salvation. In Hebrews, the third chapter, he warns the Hebrew Christians, who, who, by the way, Hebrew Christians were thinking about going back to Judaism because persecution had broken out against Christianity and those who embraced it. So they were thinking, okay, the Romans don't care if I'm a Jew. That's legalized. But Christianity, the Romans finally figured out Christianity wasn't a form of Judaism. It was altogether a new religion. And so persecution had broken out against the church. And so a lot of Jewish Christians were saying, hey, look, it's easier to be a Jew. Let's just go back to Judaism. We're not persecuted there. And the Hebrew writer warns them. In Hebrews 3 and verse 12, he says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Now, to those people who say, once you're saved, you're always saved, why give this warning? Why warn someone that they can depart from the living God if it's impossible to depart from the living God. Let me tell you what once saved, always saved does. It takes away your free will. It says you no longer have free will. Once you come to Christ, you no longer have free will. The Hebrew writer in Hebrews, the sixth chapter, in verses four through six, makes this statement. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again under repentance, seeing they crucified of themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Now I want you to note what that passage is saying. That passage says that these people, those who were once enlightened, they have tasted of the heavenly gift. They were made partakers of the Holy Spirit. They have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. He says, if they fall away, it's impossible to renew them again into repentance. Now I want you to think about that. If they shall fall away. Listen, once you're saved, you're always saved. You can't fall away. Then why the passage? And, and why denote that these, these aspects of their lives are things that only Christians have. They are enlightened. They've tasted of the heavenly gift. They've been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. They've tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. That lays to rest the, the argument that, well, they never really were saved. These people were saved. There's no doubt in anyone's mind. They were enlightened. They tasted of the heavenly gift. They were made partakers of the Holy Spirit. That is Christians and only Christians, no one else. Second Peter, the second chapter, 20 through 22 makes this statement. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallering in the mire. Now think about what Peter's saying. He's saying, look, if you escape the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, i.e., you're saved, but then you get entangled again and overcome. 
where it just takes you down all the way. He says it's worse. You're worse off than you were if you'd have never, ever become a Christian. Why? Because to the one who knew his Lord's will and prepared none himself, he will be beaten with many stripes. To the one who did not know his Lord's will and prepared not himself, he shall be beaten with few stripes. Peter actually says, it would have been better for you never to have known the way of righteousness than after having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto you. If you can't turn from the holy commandment delivered unto you, then once saved, always saved is true. But Peter says you can. In Revelation, the third chapter, Jesus himself says, He that overcometh shall be clothed in white remnant, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before the angels. That's a great comfort to know that, that Jesus is not going to blot our name out of the book of life. But it seems like to me, there's an overcoming that has to take place. In Exodus, the 32nd chapter, an Old Testament parallel, in verse 31 and 33, Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, the people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Now, think about this. These are the children of Israel. They are the children of God. All right, God is their God. They were born into a covenant with God. But God says to the soul that sins against me, him. Him I'll blot out of my book. In John, the 15th chapter, in verses 1 through 6, Jesus is about to go to the cross the very next day. And he says to his disciples, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Watch this. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Now that passage, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's saying, I am the vine and you are the branches. These are people who had come to Jesus and they had followed him. And he's saying, abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. My father will work with you, make you better, make you bigger, help you be the person you need to be. You'll bring forth a lot of fruit. But if you don't abide in me, you're cast out as a branch and wither and you are gathered together and thrown into the fire, and they are burned. You can try to slice and dice and julienne that passage all you want, but the bottom line is Christ is the vine, and we are the branches. And unless we abide in him, we are cast forth as branches. We wither, we die, we're collected, and we are burned. In other words, salvation's lost. Can a child of God so live in sin as to lose his salvation? The answer is yes. 
The list goes on and on. There's the parable of the lost sheep. Well, the lost sheep was at one time in the fold, but he got lost. Now, thank goodness the Lord went after him and brought him back. That doesn't prove once saved, always saved. There are some sheep that don't come back. There are some sheep that refuse to come back, refuse to be found after they leave the fold. Jesus was dealing with the religious leaders of his day that were born into a covenant with God. And let me let you think about this. These little guys were born into the covenant of God, four, five, six, seven, eight years old. They are in a saved condition. They were circumcised on the eighth day of their life. They are children of God. But Jesus condemns them because they had become hypocrites. They had started living in sin. They were children of God according to the Old Testament. But Matthew 23, 27 and 28, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but within you're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Verse 33, he says, you serpents, you generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? These are people that were in a covenant relationship with God, born into a covenant relationship with God, circumcised on the eighth day of their life. As little boys, they're running around, they're playing, they're saved, and then they grow up to be hypocrites. Jesus says, how can you escape the damnation of hell? Now, let me deal with the objections real quick and we'll finish. John, the 10th chapter, verses 27 through 29, is often run to by those who are proponents of once you're saved, you're always saved. And that passage says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father, which gave them to me is greater than all and no one is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. That is a wonderful passage that gives you and me security. No one can take us away from God. As long as I hold on to him, he holds on to me. But I want you to notice something. This passage doesn't prove once saved, always saved. Actually, to the contrary, Jesus says, these my sheep, they hear my voice. They follow me. These are obedient, faithful Christians. And no one can plug them out of my hand, and no one can plug them out of my Father's hand. There's no external force that can remove the faithful Christian from God. But like the prodigal son, they can leave and go off and end up lost. Another objection is Romans 8, 31 through 39. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep to the slaughter. Nay, in all these things. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me tell you what. That passage is a beautiful passage, and there's great comfort in that because that means nothing above, nothing below, nothing without 
can separate us from the love of God. But I want you to note something. All of those things that are listed in that passage are outside of yourself. It doesn't say, neither even you yourself. You can still turn away from God. You can walk away from God. I hope you don't. But I want to lay this out and make it clear that that passage doesn't say that you can't turn and walk away from God yourself. There are people that have. And of course, the argument is they never really were saved. Well, again, go back to Hebrews. Those people were saved. Go back to Paul. He was saved. And he said, I buffeted my body and bring it into subjection, lest after I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. He would tell the church at Corinth, to him who thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. Adam and Eve were children of God, and they fell. The angels were sons of God, morning stars, and according to the Bible, they fell. This doctrine of once you're saved, you're always saved, is a bunch of malarkey. It's a lie that came from the devil himself. You shall not surely die. Once you're saved, you're always saved. It's a lie. It's been a lie from the beginning, and it's a lie now. And I'll challenge anyone and openly debate anyone on this topic anywhere. Thanks for tuning in. We're glad you've come. I, I hope this helped a little bit for you to understand what the Bible really says. I mean, it's really, it's so unbelievably obvious. It's hard for me to believe that people miss it. But obviously there are. I mean, sometimes we want to hear what we want to hear. You know, we want our ears tickled. And so we, we hire the preachers that tell us what we want. Or we come up with a doctrine and then we try to find verses to support that doctrine. Well, we need to get away from that. Jesus said, in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. We need to go back to the Bible, to speak where the Bible speaks, and be silent where the Bible's silent. To have no book but the Bible, no creed but Christ, and no law but love. To be Christians and only Christians. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Thanks for tuning in. Next Friday, we'll be talking about something that you need to hear. Is God okay with all of these different churches that teach all of these different things? Is denominationalism acceptable to God? That's what we're going to be talking about next week. So make sure that you hit the subscribe button. Make sure you hit the like button. Make sure you hit the little bell so you'll be notified every time we post a new video. And if you would, hit the share button. Share this video with your friends and family. We just want to know truth. That'll set us free. Have a great week. Be safe. God bless you.